If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, you can download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Wiser Wednesday Experience Speaks, a podcast that discusses the improvement of physician engagement and physician documentation habits by focusing on the core aspects of clinical documentation integrity. Here is the creator and founder of Core CDI, the co-founder of Top Gun Audit School, and your host of this podcast, Glenn Krause. Hello, this is Glenn Krause from Wiser Wednesday, Experience Speaks, and today I'm really, really privileged to have two excellent guests on the show, Dr. Tisha Titus, and we have Paula Benoni. Thank you ladies for being here. I'll give you a little background of each. They have an uh, excellent background in medicine. Dr. Tisha Titus received her residency training at Mayo and Emory, and during her nearly 20 years career as a physician, has worked in public, private, nonprofit, and academic sectors. She is boarded in preventive and addiction medicine and currently works as an independent consultant. Dr. Titus' interests include academia, research, international health, and health disparities. Secondly, we have Dr. Paula Benoni. She's a graduate of Drexel University College of Medicine. She's board certified in internal medicine, a fellow in the American College of Physicians. She's practiced internal medicine and geriatrics, both in inpatient and outpatient, for over 25 years. She has 10 years of experience as a physician advisor and as an expert for Medicare appeals. Her final position was a research physician deeply involved in development of content to provide guidance for medical necessity reviews and appeals. So ladies, both doctors, physicians, we welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us, Glenn. No problem. Uh, This is really (laughs) exciting because I posted something on LinkedIn about physician documentation challenges, and Dr. Titus and I have been going back and forth on documentation, what are the challenges, and I loved a recent comment with Dr. Benoni about physician documentation and challenges. So today's discussion is going to be about physician challenges to good documentation. So I wanted to... uh, kind of have a back and forth on what are the challenges in documentation? Why is it that there's so much challenges in uh, physicians documenting effectively? We have so much copy and paste. Uh, we have such uh, weighed down gravitational uh, medical records. Oftentimes it's hard to find the patient in the story. So uh, Dr. Benoni, what are your thoughts on that? Then we'll, then we'll turn it over to Dr. Titus to see what she thinks. There are a lot of factors. I think your recent podcast with Dr. John Zellum touched on the fact that there are a lot of different entities 
that, that are interested in what the provider places on the chart. You know, mm-hmm. you're not just trying to communicate, you're also trying to satisfy the coders, the clinical documentation um, for quality, and trying to make sure you justify your revenue cycle. It's I, I, there are a lot of different things that I think factor into it, and I think John, uh, you know, really outlined it very nicely for you. I also think the structure of uh, the electronic medical record does not lend itself to easy communication. Documentation is not always communication, but good communication is good documentation. Good point. And, and I'm interested to hear what Tisha has to say. So I completely agree, and I, I do think the decline of our documentation that I've seen probably over the last 10 years is multifactorial. And one of the biggest pieces that seems to interfere or is one of the, the main difficulty factors seems to be time in that most physicians that are working for large healthcare organizations have little control over their schedule. Uh-huh. So their patients are booked uh, sometimes as close as every seven minutes, sometimes it's every 10 minutes, sometimes it's every 15 minutes. Oh, in the office setting. Okay. Right, in the, in the office setting. Uh, and so within the office setting, there's a significant time constraint of not only do I need to see this patient, do my full exam, do a full assessment, get my diagnosis, get my plan, discuss the plan with the patient, I also have to get my documentation done. And it has been shown time and time again that for every hour a physician spends on patient care, they spend right. another two hours on documentation. Right. And part of that is the medical record, like, <laughs> like how the EMR is structured, how it's not structured. It's it's not conducive to effective documentation from a physician standpoint because the EMR has been created not necessarily for the physician, but for all of these other things that you've just mentioned. Uh, Dr. Benoni, you want you wanted to add something? I, I see you wanted to yeah, I, I, make some points. The, the two hours are spent in what is called by my colleagues pajama time. They often yep. pay, have to do their work after hours at home. Let's say I'm, I'm doing an inpatient stay or observation. The question I have is how do you remember a case, or even in an outpatient setting, how do you remember a physical exam eight hours after you've taken it? It seems to me they all blend together. So I think that's part of the challenge is a remembrance of a case. I'm doing a chart review right now for Indian Health Service in California. They've got some unique EHR where you just point and click. It's really collecting information for the billing of the E&M. It's not collecting information from the patient's story. Is that what you're seeing as well in your practices or what's your observation? Yes, I think so. And I agree. I agree. The point and click and the pull forward are part of the physician compensation to assure that they can get as much information in while they remember it before they move on to the next patient. To me, that's the biggest challenge is that you get some information that's inconsistent, doesn't make any sense. I mean, I had a case recently I saw where the doctor checked off uh, in the H&P hypertension and pregnancy on a 65-year-old male patient. And what do you call it? Carry forward, copy and paste, whatever you want to call it. It was copied and pasted five days in a row. So, I mean, to me, that you question the validity of the entire record when you have something like that in there. 
okay, so we call this physician challenges to good documentation. How do we turn it into opportunities for good documentation? What, what strategies can be employed to really impress upon a physician that documentation is not a, is not a reimbursement tool, it's a communication tool. I think there's a, to me, in talking to many, many physicians, they're, they're thinking of the, or they treat the record like a documentation tool, but it's not even a documentation tool because they're not even, do, not even doing that well. Let's say I'm in the CDI space, clinical documentation improvement, they now call themselves integrity. What can we do to change the outlook of physicians? How can we get buy-in? What can we do to solicit their support for the medical record as a communication tool? What are your thoughts? So I really think this needs to start in medical school. Uh, so in medical school, when they're teaching the students how to gather the information and to make a differential, mm -hmm. how they write that note needs to be included in there. And that needs to be continuously reinforced as they continue to progress through their training and education. So that should still be included during orientation during their residencies. This is the appropriate way for you to document, to communicate, information on your patients to other providers and then you need to continue to reinforce that with each right. year of training and you need to go back and you need to relook at it and it really does need to be more of a PDCA type of thing because yes we get time constraints and EMR changes and lots of things happen and we as physicians may fall off the wagon and get perhaps a little less clean in our documentation as time goes on. Part of it is, is out of complacency, part of it is out of time constraints, part of it is the electronic medical records. There's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of factors. And so continuing to reinforce and to keep going back to say, am I doing this correctly? Is somebody checking this to make sure that I'm doing this correctly? And what do I need to change moving forward to make sure that this is the best documentation that I can provide? Right. I agree with Tisha. I think it's a cultural change, a cultural change that needs to happen. It's, as she said, it has to start in the medical school. The emphasis on oral communication skills has, has improved over the past several years because we've spent more time instructing and teaching uh, physicians and residents and medical students how to better communicate orally, bad, you know, prognosis, there's a lot of discussion about that, discussing treatment options, you know, trying to motivate the patient to do the right thing. And I think what we need to do is do a similar movement with uh, written communication skills. I mean, most physicians are more scientifically oriented, and there's an emphasis on quantitative, you know, knowledge in medical school. And the... Um, Writing skills are de-emphasized, even though there is a requirement that you have, take basic composition courses to go to medical school. Most of the students there, even if they have a background in liberal arts and could write, they're often better writers than the, the purely scientifically-minded students. But there has to be more emphasis on communication and writing skills. And so my question, uh, Dr. Titus, is, okay, you say sometimes uh, physicians, or I should say oftentimes physicians fall off the wagon. So in once they graduate from residency, I guess I want to direct this question at both of you. Who's best to keep physicians or reinforce? I mean, we have today... We have the CDI, or Clinical Document Integrity Program. I think Dr. Tisha made a great statement the other day when we were discussing CDI, or Clinical Documentation Integrity, 
the question came, I think I asked you, Tisha, why is it that uh, documentation is not improving? We have these CDI programs around for about 12 years. And I, I want you to elaborate on your response because everyone should hear this and really take action. <laughs> and directly it answers my question. Who should be helping physicians stay on the right track? So just like everything in medicine, it really takes a village. So that means, yes, we need our CDI experts to come back to us and say, these are the places that you can improve, but we also have other processes in place. We have peer review processes in place, right. but still, it starts with the training and the reinforcement, and literally, make this a CME so that physicians that are already out in practice that know that they could perhaps improve on their documentation or want to improve on their documentation, give them that opportunity and have a CME course for them to be able to take it so that they can improve on themselves. That's part of our lifelong learning. That's built into every physician's training is to do these things. I just don't think that there's a good vessel for them or a good mechanism for them to be done right now. Well, Tisha, I think there are some, some ways to do it. One is if you're in practice or and you're reading a colleague's notes or they send you a letter, I mean, they're probably all electronically generated now. But if, if you find instances where somebody does a really good job of communicating in, you know, in writing to you, you know, I think we have to give them positive feedback. You know, wow, that was really helpful, you know, the, the letter you sent me or the email you sent me about so-and-so patient. And I think that that's one way to, to make people uh, change or help people to change. The other is there are a lot of programs now where the student, the medical students are being taught to write. It's more about their experience as a student or with patients or whatever but there are some programs, such as at Temple University is doing this, where they're encouraging them to use their writing skills for expression. And I think hopefully there can be some spillover into the documentation as well, because it's a, a way where they work out their learning, what they've learned from, from their experiences, but hopefully it also improves their written communication skills. So I want to get your thoughts on a couple of ideas I have uh, from a physician's point of view. So I know we have these CDI programs around for 12 years, and I have not seen any improvement in physician communication and documentation. And partly, I think Tisha agrees or made the comment the other day that why is it that documentation is not improving? even though we have these CDI programs. And we both agree that the focus is on the hospital. The focus is on reimbursement for the hospital. Can the CDI, or do they play a role? Should they play a role in helping physicians become more proficient so they can work smarter, not harder? Because I've seen personally myself being able to provide physicians with feedback in a positive way on how to communicate more effectively. There's so many instances of 10-page uh, H&P or 7-page H&P where it can be really be uh, compacted into two pages because we have a history of present illness that has uh, a listing of 20 diagnoses uh, going back 20 years, but we don't spend, they don't spend a lot of time talking about the present illness. We're talking about the past illness. So do you see any role? Do they play a role? Should they play a role? I do, but again, it's, well, there's an old saying, I'd write you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I love that. It was supposedly Mark Twain. I don't know if that's really true or not. But 
you know, it, it, there, there's an art to learning to pare it down. And what, what they did, is, as Tisha said earlier, you know, we want five words. We don't want ten words. We want telegraphic information. And I think a lot of those HPIs, what they do is give you a lot of telegraphic information or what I think one writer called police blotter. Yeah. Um, and, and you really think it's true. And, and Tisha, I'm sure with your experience in addiction medicine, you know that the story is very important, not just identifying the patient as an overdose or somebody with addiction issues. There's, there's a story behind it. Correct. And I think that the difficulty that is happening now and will continue to happen until we can find a resolve is that physicians are being almost pushed to use their documentation for something that really isn't their business, which is the billing and coding. And they need to be able to do their documentation as physicians in the interest of the patient to document their thought process, what they see, what they do, what's happened, what is that story, and where are they going? And then hopefully the billing and coding can be extrapolated from that. But I, I think the conflict comes in where when physicians are told, you have to have so many things in this section and so many things in this section and so many things in this section, that they're so focused on making sure that they check off all the boxes for somebody else that they might be missing their own information or they might be missing some really important patient information because they're doing work that's outside of their scope. Billing and coding really isn't in their scope. Patient is in their scope. Right, they have to tell the patient's story and how they synthesized it and, uh, and how they came to their conclusions or their plan of care. Yeah, you know, it goes back to, the, what's his name, William Osler, back in the late 1800s, the forefather of modern medicine, the uh, co-founder of John Hopkins Medical School. I think this sums mm -hmm. it up nicely. He has, you know, he's an interesting guy who had many, many different quotes. You can look him up online. Uh, the yes. one that, I, that really drives home the point is what this particular quote. He said, a good physician treats the disease. A great physician treats the patient with the disease. And I know mm -hmm. firsthand... I know firsthand that taking a good history and physical uh, and finding the story, finding the patient in the story, allows a physician to uh, arrive at a diagnosis. What's, what I've been reading, what, 40, 50% of the time, so 60% of the time? And I, I know firsthand that's true because I had a, a symptom that wouldn't go away, and I had a, a extensive workup. We tried meds. We tried conservative therapy, had a... Uh, EGD, uh, couldn't find the cause, still having the chest pain. Then uh, my uh, close colleague, who was the medical director of the ED at a three-hospital system, said, why don't you go see this fellow? He graduated from the Cook County, which is now Strong uh, Medical Center in Chicago, and I traveled about an hour and a half to see him, and uh, he had, took an extensive history of present illness. He did a cursory physical exam, and after asking about 10 minutes worth of questions, it goes back to the fact that, like Dr. Tish has said, the physicians don't have a lot of time assembly line medicine, but he was just starting out, so didn't have a lot of patients yet. He came to a diagnosis. And it turns out all these procedures and workup and specialists I saw could have been avoided. So it goes back to a good patient story. And, and I want to just say a couple of points before we ask for some closing remarks. It's the EHR has certainly degraded the quality of documentation. I think we all agree with that. Uh, to me, it, it's possible for the physician to take back control of the EHR versus the EHR controlling documentation. It's about understanding the standards of documentation, which happened to be, in my mind, I want to get your closing remarks on this. It's really about 
going back to a history and physical and progress note. What are they? What are they intended to do? In my experience in working with physicians, it goes back to not E&M from a billing perspective, but from a documentation. What brought the patient in? Chief complaint, history of present illness, physical exam, PFSH review assistance and pertinent to the presenting signs, nature of presenting problems, physician's clinical judgment, and, and then looking at the data that's a test that's been ordered result, come to a reasonable conclusion whether it's definitive or provisional and or both, and having a plan of care rational and reasonable. And to me, I'm not a physician, but I worked with physicians for 27 years, and I toyed with the idea of becoming a physician in my third career, which just didn't happen. It, it goes back to uh, William Osler's statement, uh, way back early 1900s, observe, record, tabulate, and communicate. And while medicine has advanced tremendously since then, remarkably, the foundations of medicine are the same. Am I, am I on the right track? Tisha and Paula, what are your thoughts? I think so. I think that summed it up very well, Glenn. So I, I agree, and, and I can tell you that I would choose dictation over an electronic medical record any day. Yes. Yes, I agree. I still see some physicians using Dragon, which is good, but they don't read the note before they sign off. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, inconsistencies and sentences that don't make sense, but at least there's something in the chart. So, uh, you know, I, it goes back to physician challenges to good documentation. We know what they are. We just have to address them. And I believe that CDI plays an important role. But Dr. John Zellum said CDI can't do it alone. So I really encourage our CDI professional peoples, professionals, leaders, physician advisors to recognize that they play an important role working together with case management and UR because a CDI cannot do it alone. And the approach we're using today to improve the integrity is just not working. Any final thoughts, any comments? I appreciate your ladies' time, but any, anything that you want to just to add before we close off? So I'm going to agree with what Paula said in that there, I really do think that there needs to be a cultural shift in how we teach documentation, how we do it, and how we engage with the other components that the documentation is used for. So physicians and CDI do need to work together, and billing and coding needs to be in there. And then we also now have a new push for patients to have access, open access to their records. And so there's also been an encouragement to not use technical and medical terms. And I think at some point in time, we, we have to decide what we want that documentation to be. Mm -hmm. And then we need to learn to get the things that we need from it instead of trying to alter it to meet everybody's needs because in doing that, it isn't meeting anybody's needs. Absolutely. So I guess the take-home points I would like to mention documentation is, is not a billing tool, it's a byproduct of good documentation. And physicians uh, need to start as residents and students and, and residency and not forget that their duty as a physician on behalf of their patients communicate effectively. And you know, Dr. Titus and I recorded a podcast, was it last Sunday? And we're going to be releasing that with Candace Faison, who's a CDI program director over audit at uh, Premier Physician Practice in Columbus. 
of Premier Physician Network, we talked about some strategies to drive improvement, and we really need to work together, CDI, Physician Advisor, Case Management, you are, in denials and appeals because in 2021, there's wholesale changes to E&M 95 guidelines, and right. physicians, physicians can't communicate effectively in the office which spills over into the hospital, under 95 guidelines in 2021, they're going to be dead because it's going to be based on time and or medical decision-making. And time right. is going to require medical necessity, and that's not a concept physicians quite understand. You know, in our, in our Wise on Wednesday experience piece, I've had some really, really good speakers. Dr. Zellum has been on the show. We have... Um, podcast right here with uh, Dr. Titus and Dr. Noni. Uh, we've had several great CDI professionals, so go to your iTunes channel and check it out. If you go to Core CDI or core-cdi.com, there's a lot of resources there. So Dr. Titus and Dr. Benoni, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate your insight. There is hope for physician challenges, the good documentation. We just need to develop a strong strategy with CDI, physician advisors, case management, and also, you know, CDI taking a, a strong role in helping develop training for uh, residents and Thank you for listening. Glenn Krause can be found on LinkedIn. Make sure to subscribe to Wiser Wednesday Experience Speaks on Anchor.fm or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure to also visit core-cdi.com for CDI and Revenue Cycle Consulting Services and topgunauditschool.com, a coaching service for hospital and clinicians. This podcast was produced by medicalcodinggeek.com. geek.com